Hi, my name is Les Heron, and this is my podcast, The Journey Life with Les Heron. Please be sure to subscribe, like, share, comment on all of my content. It really helps me out a lot, and I will personally appreciate it. Today on the podcast, we're doing something different. I am interviewing my good friend, Jim Sim. He's a pastor and a leader at Life Church 7 in Richland, Washington, with Pastor Wes up there and a really great staff. He is the leader of the School of Supernatural Ministry, the Life Church 7 School of Supernatural Ministry. And he was teaching on spiritual warfare at the same time I was doing the Devilish Dialogues, writing that book that's about to come out here, uh, hopefully in September. Not hopefully, definitely in September, so be looking for that. All right, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Bye. I wanted you to start, I I was going to start and talk about demons because I'm doing the Devilish Dialogues. And I'm really enjoying that, but I thought that's like really a narrow, narrow thing. And I might, we might do that another time, but I want to talk today about spiritual warfare included with the demonic in it. But why don't you take a minute and describe the nature of spiritual warfare and then answer the question, uh, are we as believers always in a spiritual battle? So, so there's a couple of questions in there. So let let me just do a broad, a broad stroke on the idea of spiritual warfare. Um, Really, the predominant scripture for it's in Ephesians chapter six, and I'll just, I'll read it briefly. It's that part of Ephesians six, verse 10, where Paul, the apostle Paul is talking about, he's he's ending this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Mm-hmm. Um, put on the full armor of God. And lots of people are familiar with that passage of scripture where they'll, they'll, the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness and such, and which, by the way, is a big part of spiritual warfare is making sure you have the armor on. That's what he's saying. <laughs> right, right. But there's a bit that gets skipped over or maybe isn't emphasized as much. And when I was a young believer, I would go through the armor of God, I did this for years in the, in my morning prayer time, and I'd sort of imagine myself putting it on but the bit that comes before that is he says so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of god so the reason for putting the armor of god on is that you are in a battle so to kind of answer quickly your second question there yes we're in a battle all the time the battle is real and it's not a battle against people and interestingly enough there's a whole uh, list of people or relationships right before this in chapter five in the first half of chapter six where it started out with um Actually, I think at the end of chapter four, it says, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. And then he gives husbands, wives, dads, mm-hmm. uh, children, uh, slaves, slave masters. And he kind of outlines what that would look like for each of those people. And then interesting to me, then he goes, but this is what I believe he's saying. But our struggle is not against them. If we get caught in thinking that's the only thing that we're dealing with. And there isn't a bigger unseen picture. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to be able to make your stand. So you can't separate putting on the armor of God from being aware that the struggle or the armor you're putting on is not for me to show you how righteous I am, let's say. Right, right, yeah. There's an unseen realm 
that I think this is where a lot of Christians are losing less. And I know where I've lost lots of battles because I'm focusing on doing better, trying harder, praying more, because I know there's a spiritual battle, pray more, you know, or do spiritual activities fast or tithe more, give more offerings on top of your tithes or things like that. All very valid. But not knowing and being aware of this list that Paul mentions, rulers of this uh, against, sorry, was he say rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The NLT has a really good way of putting that as well. So without knowing that, you're already kind of losing a little bit, or there's places that we lose in life because we're not aware of the specifics, let's say, of what does that even look like? Broadly speaking, we use the word demons or unclean spirits or unholy spirits um, would be a broad term, I would say, for that list that's in there. Yeah, that's super interesting. I've always known that, you know, the battle's not against people, but I never connected it with the preceding verses in that chapter. I've always yeah. disconnected where they have the where they have the disconnect. And so here's, here's what's an interesting part of uh, that is that all of us, depending on which which depending on which category we fall into in that group, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives right, submit right. to husbands, right? So you have a two-sided coin out there. As a husband, you think about your part first. That's what you should be thinking. Right, right. Okay, what should my wife be doing? You know, that kind of thing. If it's fathers and children, you're thinking as a father, right, my children need to be obeying this. And as a father, I need to. Yeah. So there's kind of both sides to that, right? And I think that that's a trap that we often get into is, I should be, of course, looking at the list that refers to myself. Right. So what I'm getting at is there's always a place in there for self-justification about how the other person should be relating to me. Right. And what Paul is writing this, here's the context for the whole letter less is he's actually in prison when he writes this. He's in right. prison in Rome. Yeah. And he does it. So the slave master thing like you go, well, and that's another topic for another time, how slavery was in those days, which as all of human history, pretty much there's been slavery until, you know, a couple hundred or a few hundred years ago. But um, when it began to be ended by the British Empire, that's, that's a whole other, you know, category of thing. But the slavery thing, what Paul, Paul is himself a prisoner, first of all, and what you could say is it, well, it's not could say, it was an idolatrous government. Caesar considered right, right, God. right. Therefore, there was laws and such that persecuted people who didn't accept Caesar as God. Then for all the different good things that Roman judicial system had, there were flaws in it. Paul was suffering from it right here. The religious hypocrisy of his religious authorities that were above him that he submitted to, Pharisees and Sadducees and such, conjured up charges against him and lied about him to get him in prison. So Paul has a really strong case for, man... Do, becoming a political activist or a social justice warrior or any of those things, some of which are valid at certain times. I'm not diminishing them entirely. What I'm saying is they're less important as a priority than being aware. This battle is not against those things, first of all. Those are manifestations right. or places that manifest the real war. So Paul doesn't bring up, even at the end of it, he says, and pray for me. He doesn't say, now elsewhere he does ask prayer that he would be out of prison, but not here in Ephesians. He says, right. and pray for me that I would be able to preach the gospel. And in Philippians chapter one, he says, everyone knows what's happened to me, but this has served to advance the gospel. Right. Meaning yeah. he's in prison. So Paul is demonstrating what he's preaching here. He's aware that the battle's bigger than that. He's not caught up 
in the momentary um, displeasure or struggle or persecution of what he's going through, he's focused on a higher thing, uh, the unseen yeah. realm. Yeah. Do you think that the um, that the this the the battle is not against people is one of the most important things for believers to remember about spiritual warfare? Yes, I I do, and I, I think I think it certainly is because yeah. Jesus says in John chapter four, he has this conversation with a Samaritan lady and she's bringing up, of course, where are you going to get this water? So he's talking about something that's different than right, she's talking right. about. So what's yeah. he talking about, Les? He's talking about the spiritual part of life, the living water. She's thinking physical water. And he's talking about a water for your soul, a spiritual experience. Right, right. He goes further than that. And when she says, um, oh, well, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here. So what's she doing now? She's still keeping it in the physical. Where's the most important place to have experiences with God? This mountain or that mountain? She's in a physical realm. We've got to get things right and got to get it correct for where we're going to worship. And Jesus' answer is this. Time is coming, has now come. Well, we don't worship on that mountain or this mountain. The true worshipers worship the Father in spirit. Yeah. Truth. So we're a spirit people less. And I think that's been very undermined in Christianity that um, a friend once said this to me years ago. Christianity is more a spirit religion than we've made it. And Jesus is making that clear in the early part of his ministry here. We worship in spirit and in truth. He said, the words I give to you are spirit and they are life. He says that elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think it's John chapter eight or somewhere in there. It's in John's gospel. So Jesus himself is a lot about the Holy Spirit and spiritual life. John chapter three, you have to be born of the spirit. Yeah. So, and he talks about this in his epistles, the spirit and the water and all that in the blood and so on. So I think it's, it is certainly something that is very important for us to be aware of. Um, yeah. to, that's who we are. It's actually who we are. We're a spiritual people right. in relationship with the Holy spirit connecting us to heaven. That's a spiritual world. Yeah. Can you give an example of a spiritual battle you were in? but you were fighting your leadership at the church? <laughs> um, in, just any little one, be vague about it, but can you think, does anything come to mind where you were, where your actions or your words or your heart was against that person, not even aware of that underlying unseen spiritual realm you've been talking about? Good. Um, I, have a, I have an example of that. So to answer your question about where has spiritual warfare um come up in relationship to um leadership that i've had in church I, I could remember i would say probably the first time this occurred i was a a pastor i was briefly living in england at the time and a spiritual leader who i i felt god wanted me to do something with my life and he did not and in my view at the time still to this day he was being pretty heavy-handed about it and i got some advice from an older Christian person that said, the pastor's going to want to interview you and he's he's probably going to scold you. And my encouragement to you would be, don't fight back, just be humble. And so I went to, I mean, I was think 20 years old at the time. And this is somebody who's probably 60, you know, very experienced, long-term in ministry. So he was very authoritative. I had a lot of respect for him. And um, so I went there and sure enough, that's what was happening. He he was accusing me of different things that weren't correct, not necessarily lies or anything, just his, let's say, opinions or right. subjective ideas about 
why I was doing what I was doing, what right. the outcomes were going to be. Um, I have his own frustration, I guess, because I, I wasn't agreeing with him. And and let, and let me say this. And this wasn't this was the first time we talked face to face. I wasn't only disagreeing with him through other people who told me he wants you to do blank. And I'm like, well, I'm not I'm not I don't want to do that. So I remember there being scolded and and accused to to a certain extent of things. It was it was unjust and it was unfair, and I think that was part of the spiritual battle. Is the character of Christ? You see it where I wanted to fight back less. I wanted to argue my point and make my case, which I could do quite well. And um, but then you know you think of that one. I think it's in First Peter where it talks about Jesus that when he was insulted, he made no threats. But he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So that's where the character of Christ in your spirit, when that has been renewed, um, comes to the fore and mm -hmm. is a great strength to you. That if yeah. you start leaning into your own mind, this isn't right, or yeah. that's accurate, and there is a time to make your case. Right, right. But that's what a lot of spiritual warfare is: is being aware that it is spiritual. Yeah. When is the time to let the Holy Spirit give me the right words to say? Jesus promised that when you're brought before magistrates and such, don't worry right. about what to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you. But then you see Jesus with Pilate being silent. I just referred to that scripture. Right, he trusted right. himself to him and who judges justly. And it goes on to talk about him bearing our sin and all that. So that was a that was a case of spiritual warfare for me where I was tempted to fight back, be aggressive, um, make my case. And I just listened. And at the end of that, um, this leader asked me, well, do you have anything to say for yourself? And I said, no, no, I don't. Thank you very much for your time. And he let me go. And what was good about it was it, it did something to reinforce the character of Christ that was growing in me as right, a right. at the time that I didn't get pulled into what the enemy would have wanted was for me to turn against my brother. Right. Um, and accuse him and call him names and, you know, and all the things that we can tend to do when we feel we're being treated unjustly. Yeah. I think about my response, even to this less and less every year, probably since I hit 40 late thirties has been like, my response is always that the battles, the person in front of me. <laughs> yeah it's true you know, you know what i mean it's so hard yeah. and yeah to take your point i you know i i've always known that you know that the that our spouse is like you like you mentioned briefly our spouse is that is that person but i never i never connected to our kids also that we're yeah. looking for a tangible intellectual based on my experience solution for kids for my kids instead of oh this is something spiritual going on and there's a spiritual way to address this i can still have the same consequences but there's a totally different heart there's no fear in it there's no anxiety there's no anger uh yeah. towards my child and um yeah. yeah that's super interesting and i think that a big weapon that we have um it's in james um the book of james where james says Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yeah, And uh, that often gets half quoted, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, it tells you how to resist. You resist right. by submitting to God. You're not, you can't do this on your own. Paul is outlining that right here in these two chapters. He starts out with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he puts these authority structures in there. And the family, you yeah. know, slaves and masters, government, yeah. such, and that's government is elsewhere in Romans. But 
one of the places I think we lose that we miss that it's a spiritual battle is that God has put authorities in our lives. So in the case I just gave with that pastor, I was actually being submissive. I didn't argue. I didn't fight. I didn't agree. But right, I kept the right. submissive posture of humility, sure. still respecting that that place in my life. He was a spiritual authority in my life. Let's say he was misguided in some of what he was doing, but keeping a submissive posture rather than fight back. Um, that's that's the trap. And and so submitting to God is not just, well, I don't need anybody. I'm just going to follow what God tells me. There are, and I think that's the point there in Ephesians. I think there's a connection there is that because he's talking about authority less, rulers, authorities, spiritual forces and such, if there's authority, they want us to come under their authority. And we do that. Right. And one way we do it is by unsubmissive character yeah. or nature yeah. or our mindset or will or whatever you want to call it. But certainly by being unsubmissive or disobedient to God or rebellious. And some of that shows up in our relationships and the authority structures we have within family, within government, within church. It doesn't mean obey somebody and submit when they ask you to sin or do something evil. It doesn't mean that. But it might mean that they're actually in sin or they're doing something wrong um, towards you. You can still be submissive in attitude towards them. Yeah, that's really and we should be. That's really difficult for people to grasp uh, in our day and age. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you're under God's authority, of course, but then you can say you're under God's authority, but never be under any other spiritual authority. And then as soon as you don't, uh, as soon as you remove yourself from, from tangible spiritual authority, it's like you're placing yourself under demonic authority. That's the point I'm trying to no, make. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, that, thankfully, I just made it correctly for you. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't disobey a police officer when he stops you for speeding right. because right. he's not a Christian. Right. And you want to know yeah. his spiritual life. And Romans lays this out pretty clearly that government, government and, and it's also in Timothy when he talks about praying for everyone in government, you know, that, that yeah. would make life easy and go, go peacefully for you. Um, for kings and rulers and all those in authority, he says, praying for them. Yeah. Um, so when he outlines it in Romans, um, I think it's like chapter 13, isn't it? Where he's talking about submitting to the governing authorities because they're agents of God. It has nothing to do with their personal holiness. It has everything right. to do with God appointing, maybe not the individuals, but the structures of authority right. and family in church, yeah. in government, society, that they're there to protect and serve us. And if they get it wrong and they're slightly misguided, and that's on them to account to God for the responsibility they were given being misused, my responsibility is to keep a submissive posture, remembering that it starts out with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right, We're never right. Never detaching it from, yeah. from God. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's there's got to be some work done in there uh, for us as Christians during this, uh, you know, Republican Democrat. I notice I'm I'm representing blue states and you're representing red states, even though I'm in Texas and you're in Washington. <laughs> What's that about? I feel like the devil set me up. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a reversal. Like but the thing else. is, it's like you know we you know the scripture about you know all authority is God's authority and and it, except for if we don't like the president. If, if or if we declare he's not my president, I wonder if people that did this to Trump and people that are now doing it to Biden and people who did it to Obama saying he's not my president, 
I wonder if we're setting ourselves up for a rebellion uh, in our own souls that's been enticed and whispered into us and drawn out of us by the demonic. And that yeah, we, I, it, it, right. it, bring, it brings a, just a really bad tension in us, a wrong, a wrong uh, tension, a, a, stre- a wrong stress within us. I think that it, I think that it does. And, and I think that, um, it just to, to make a little bit of a comparison, the Lord has spoken to me over the last couple of years, especially about the power of yes and no, and the power of my words. We've, we've heard this a lot that death mm-hmm. and life are in the power of the tongue. And James talks about that a lot, doesn't he? How it can steer the whole course of your life, even though it's a small part of your body, you know, that you got to get control right. of your words. Right. And, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's tongues to help you with what you're talking about. You're talking directly to God and it should be holy speech. So Ephesians actually before this talks about don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Right, Sing yeah. psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going somewhere with this. God started speaking to me about one of the big parts of your yes and no is a spiritual thing. A spiritual meaning if, if you don't believe that you're going to keep your own word, if you don't mean it and you treat your own words lightly and you in your soul know you should have said no, but you said yes. Or you said maybe when you know that you're not going to do blank. Like you don't believe your own word. You're not trustworthy with your. So why would a demon listen to you when you commanded it to get out of somebody or do something? Wow. You don't even believe authority yeah. of your own word. So why would a demon? Yeah. And the demon knows it. Seven sons of Sceva are the example in the book yeah. of Acts, right? Jesus, we know. Paul, we... who are you? Like you don't have the authority to right, talk right, like yeah. that. So... Yeah, that's really good. Speaking to me about that. So I'm making that comparison. In the same way, why would you kid yourself of thinking it's spirits, rebellious, unclean spirits who are rebelling against God would listen to you when you've said things like, you know what? My elected president is not my president. Mm-hmm. My elected, yeah. the, not elected, the monarch in the country in which I live is not a man of God or a whole right, man. Right. The whole of history has been, this was interesting to me about this in modern times. Our form of government's the best it's ever been. Right. Western democracy is awesome, yeah. but imperfect. To go back again to the passage we read, Paul was under a, nothing like as good a government as we have right now. And right, it's not right. Yeah. And he's the one saying, submit to the authorities, the top of which Caesar is considered a God. Now, right. that's the breach of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods yeah, before me. Yeah. You know what? He's not my Caesar. Now, he's maybe not your God, but he is king. He is emperor. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you should submit to him. That's that's what Paul is saying. And to all those under his authority who only have authority given by him. So that's the structures that we still have. You're honoring the position that that person has that God has given them. Yeah. Even in their imperfection. So when you start to rebel, that's what Paul is saying in Romans. When you rebel against them, you're rebelling against God. Yeah. Now it gets tricky, especially in the United States because of the American revolution and stuff like that. That's a whole other topic for another time because they rebelled against the monarch and all that kind of stuff. So where's the line at, you know, unjust government and time for revolution, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So, but but I think the point we're trying that I'm trying to make here is a rebellious intent or a rebellious part of our nature needs to be rooted out because rebellious spirits wouldn't submit to you if you behave just like them. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's interesting. So let's go let's go to this uh, uh, another question is um is uh, what th- authority do believers have in Christ when confronting spiritual warfare? Uh, it says in Luke ten nineteen, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. What authority? What authority do I have to speak to the demonic or to change the spiritual atmosphere in my home, in my office, around me, things like that? Well, Philippians chapter two talks about Jesus having the name above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess. I mean, it's speaking, you know, mm-hmm. future, but it happens presently in the sense that when Jesus appears to John, the first chapter of Revelation, he says. I'm the living one. I was dead now I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus is talking about having absolute authority. First Corinthians 15 talks a little bit about this as well. Jesus as the last Adam. So as mankind's representative, Jesus has undone the curse or our lack of authority that we had through Adam's sin, our lack of power to do something about the devil. Yeah. Jesus, those scriptures refer to how Jesus has has redeemed that and restored it to what it ought to have been, where mankind is now not subservient to these rulers, authorities, and spiritual forces. We're actually superior to them in that sense, but it's not in ourselves. It's only in Christ. That's why the seven sons of Sceva were ineffective, because they weren't in relationship with Christ. So a very personal level, the degree of authority I have in Christ is absolute. Jesus has won an absolute victory. So there, there isn't a squabble or a battle for good and evil going on in the world. Jesus has won. Right, absolutely. Right, yeah. And if by faith in him, even the youngest believer can overcome, as you just quoted, any power of the devil. However, yeah. what happens as we grow in the use or awareness of that authority, just like a rookie cop, a rookie cop has the same authority by his rank as a 30 year old veteran cop, right? He's just not aware of how to use it yet. And I think that's the growth of our Christian life is knowing how to use it and knowing how to use it comes with relationship. Yeah. The more relationship and proximity I have with Jesus and listening to the Holy spirit, then I'm going to be more authoritative. The more I overcome in my own life, to go back to the words example earlier and all that, then the more rulers and authorities are going to submit to my word and my command because I believe what I say. And I believe what I say first by faith and that I'm in Jesus. And second, because I've had experiences of it and I've proven the Lord in my life because I've had proximity with him and I've overcome in a certain area. So I know that it has worked and I know that it will work. And so that's why you don't necessarily, you know, as people who are authoritative, they don't go around screaming and shouting and thumping the table very much. Right, right. Yeah. You've been with somebody last night that you're in a room with them and they have a commanding presence. They don't don't say that. You can just tell because they're confident. So I think that confidence in our authority grows, even though it's absolute in Jesus for the baby Christian, she don't know how to use it. And it can grow through relationship with the Lord and using it in your own life over your own soul first. Oh yeah, that's that's a really good point. Using it in your own life over your own soul. You know, I, I this is this is pers- really personal, but I was rereading a note in Evernote. I was looking for something and it was when you're down in Panama 
and and I had was taking notes when we talk, um, which I do sometimes. Uh, I think back then I specifically did. And you had you asked me like, hey, I don't even know what to put my faith to. And I said, put your faith to your own soul. Yeah. And I read that and I thought, man, that's really smart of me. <laughs> but that's something that you've learned, right? That we've learned that that's your first that's your first line of defense. That's where you first want to attack. That's what you first want to have authority over is your own soul, not in a willpower sort of way, but in a Holy Spirit, my spirit and God's spirit is unified to grow and nurture my soul. Exactly. So, and I think I think in the initial fall with Adam and Eve, you see that that's where they didn't apply it because when the tempter came to Eve and said, you know, hey, what about this fruit right here? That you, you won't die if you eat it. And it said, she saw it. Yeah. And she saw that it was good for gaining wisdom. It was pleasing to the eye and good for food. Yeah. Those are all soulish. Um, yeah. Those are So she didn't apply her relationship with God, you know, to where taking authority over that right there. She, she got it in her own head. And started thinking yeah. about stuff in a wrong way. And so that's where the power of the Holy Spirit and the victory of Jesus is meant to be applied, first of all, is that if I'm tempted or I'm weak in a certain area, I can take authority over myself. Yeah, that's oh, really good. My own thoughts, my own feelings, my own yeah. will. Jesus prayed that in nevertheless, uh, not my will, but you'll be done or will yeah. be done. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a surrendering of my will that yeah. I can't do on my own. I need God's help to do that. But I have authority by the power of the Holy Spirit through my relationship with Jesus to do that very thing. Yeah. Well, and if I can do that, then I can help. I will. Then if I'm talking to you, let's say I've done that with anger in my life. Right. And you're having a struggle with anger. Well, as I'm talking with you, because that, that's really uh, hypothetical, of course. Hypothetical, so right. I've anger. never been righteously angry. Yeah, neither of you. Right. But you can tell, right? If I'm talking to yeah. you about how to get victory, you can feel the mm -hmm. authority of mm -hmm. the words I'm using. And there's someone yeah. else is telling you and you're like, the words are hollow. Well, right, how do right. you differentiate between those? You feel them in your spirit. That's a spiritual thing. It's you're carrying spiritual authority based on victories you've had. You're speaking with authority. It's why you listen to Dave Ramsey about money. The man talks with great authority yeah. and is respected, even if you only listen to the first time, because he's lived it. He's overcome yeah. that way. And so that's similar that's in the spiritual realm is that uh, you can sense and feel an authoritative person that they've progressed in an area and they have command over themselves first. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end with, with, I've got four questions left. The three are very similar, but I want you to give like a one minute or 90, one, 60 to 90 second response. Okay. What does, what does prayer do in spiritual warfare? What does my prayer do in spiritual warfare? Well, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So that's that's effective to effective to what? What does it do? Effective to including God into what I'm doing and not trying to do it myself. This is the partnership of relationship with God. As I'm not presuming because I did this before, I'll do the same thing again. Mm -hmm. I know exactly mm -hmm. how to handle this. I'm inviting God always yeah. into my situation because I have no authority outside of him. I have no wisdom outside of him. This is not that. It might look exactly the same, but he's wanting to mm -hmm. speak about this moment. What is this specific demon that's attacking you right now? It might feel like one that happened before. It could be different. 
just like human personalities are different. Yeah. So prayer is the part where I'm inviting God in to give me wisdom, give me understanding, encourage my faith, and so on. So, so, like so prayer isn't a magical thing where I pray and God takes everything away. I mean, I know he can do that, but generally that's not been my experience that prayer is inviting him in and then he's partnering with my soul to activate my faith, to make some better decisions and to look at things differently. I think the thing is that like faith, um, it sounds silly to say it this way, but faith is like our currency with God. I mean, that, that sounds yeah. like crass to say that. No. Nah. But I think that what the prayer does, it helps differentiate one of two things in a battle. One of them is, do I do what you just said? Which part of me do I need to activate and do something? I yeah. need to fast. I need to tithe. I need to give. I need to go exercise. I need to be quiet. I need to speak, yeah. whatever. But the other part is what you see God speaking to Moses when the Egyptians are hunting them. And he says, stand still and see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Right. Later on, when they go through Jericho, they march. It's a supernatural, strange thing. They march around and the walls fall down. But they still have to run into the city and take the city in battle. Right, so yeah. They had to play. And prayer helps us know the difference. Yeah. Do I need to stand still and watch God do something that I could never do? Or do I need to act something out and God will do something that I couldn't do? Gotcha. Then I will do something else that only I could do. The Jericho example. Yeah. So prayer helps me be in relationship with God less to know the difference. What is God saying? In any case, I need faith to stay still. Oh, I want to do something. The Egyptians are coming. Stand right, still. right. That takes faith. Or Jericho, march around and then run up and take the city. That yeah. takes faith. Okay, so, prayer, so what, prayer a, keeps me faith. what about engaging in song through praise and worship? How does that, um, how does that impact spiritual warfare or does it? All it does, you know, you got some examples, especially in the Old Testament, right? You got a really good one in the New Testament as well. But you have the Old Testament, you have the Jehoshaphat one, right? There's a battle coming and they send the that's the one that comes to mind. They send the they send the singers out first. <laughs> and uh, there's I think at a personal level, one of the reasons why songs and spiritual and music is helpful. I'm not an expert on brain science at all, but I know that we all generally know about left brain, right brain. So the right brain part would be that more artistic, creative side, right? And the left brain is the more analytical, you know, structured. So what music and that does often, it gets me, let's say I'm pretty left brain, generally speaking. So more analytical, structured, that kind of thing. Music and art and stuff like that helps activate that other part of my brain. So it's another part of my personality that puts me outside of what I'm naturally more comfortable with. And I think that's one part, it's a small part, but it's a part of why singing and art and all that stuff is important in spiritual battle, because it it, it puts me in an area, let's say, that's more mystical to me. It's, it's, it's taking me out of not things I will control with my own analysis or yeah. my own understanding. Uh, I think that's part of it. I think there's just a big spiritual part that I don't honestly understand that you see it with Jehoshaphat. And you see it with David's tabernacle, all the worshiping and singing. David understood something about worship and spiritual life um, that was glorifying God in that way that brought great protection and victory to the nation of Israel. And the last example yeah. is Paul and Silas in prison. They're singing and worshiping while they've just been flogged. You know, they're in stocks and such. Right. And the chains come off and all that kind of thing. And miracles happen. 
as a result of their gratitude and their thankfulness and their singing of songs. Uh, there's so, a, quite a mystery in that. So in that in that example, so they're they're in chains. They're it's it would be like like if you're listening today and you're at home and you feel like you're in chains of depression or loneliness or fear or anxiety or whatever or just lack of hope that that even in those chains then you would praise god for who he is you would praise god for what he's doing you would worship you would sing and that would then elevate your spirit over your soul yeah like, so I mean, then you would see with yeah. spiritual eyes and hear his spiritual ears I'm instead of only Mm -hmm. experiencing what you're experiencing in the natural or in that's your great, soul. That's a great summary of what okay. I'm saying. Okay. Paul even says it before. I'm looking at it right here in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He said, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to Him. Okay. So there's a connection there of singing and making music that has you filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what I was right, trying to describe right. it. Because our body is connected. And our soul and our spirit, they're all intertwined. So yeah. trying to over-separate them makes it a right, problem. Right. But, but that's what I'm saying about the brain part. There's a part of activating yeah. your brain intentionally to put yourself in a more mystical realm that Paul is describing here, that then by faith acting that, it has you filled with the spirit rather than previously he said, don't get drunk on wine. Don't gotcha. let that take your mind over. Let, gotcha. let singing and such take over your mind and let the Holy Spirit fill you. And, uh, and then, of course, that comes proceeding to this bottle here. Yeah. So, okay. So we've got prayer is effective. We've got praise and worship is effective. And the last question for like 60 to 90 seconds is like the whole seeking, abiding, pursuing the presence of God in the way of worship, but just soaking in it, meditation, quiet, silence, experiencing his presence, believing he's in front of you, that sort of thing. Is that an effective uh, strategy in spiritual warfare, especially for our own soul? Yeah, it, it's it's highly effective. And then uh, and then why why is it effective? What does it what do you think it does? Well, I I think what it does is I think of Psalm 23. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Um, he restores my soul. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's good. I never it, thought about it that way. Yeah. Right. So, so the stillness that's that's pictured there with the shepherd is that the green pastures he's feeding me, he's providing yeah, for me, yeah. and he's quenching my thirst. So the hungering and thirsting of my soul is taken care of. But what happens there is my soul is restored. Yeah. So that's what the quietness does less. The predominant it, it will quiet your soul, or if your soul is noisy, it will make you aware of it. And so it's an intentional thing to do. Paul, uh, Paul, yeah. assuming he wrote Hebrews, maybe it was Apollos, but whatever. Hebrews four twelve that the word of God divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes yeah. of the heart. So meditation is a part of that. Is hearing from God. You're stilling yourself to hear from God, so He can divide through through His Word, which can be scriptures or prophetic mm -hmm, words, mm -hmm. just or an encounter you're having in that time. You're giving yourself a chance. To let your spirit be foremost with the Holy Spirit so he can divide the noisiness of your own soul, your feelings and your crazy thoughts and all that, and your spirit to take preeminence. And your soul then is restored. It's put into proper place and alignment and healed. And a lot of us don't spend much time. We are meditating. We just don't know it. We're not meditating. Right. I would say. That's so good. 
is intentional thought content yeah. centered on God. 15, yeah. 20 minutes a day. Be quiet and listen for the spirit of God. You're stilling your soul. You're stopping your body. So your spirit yeah. can be foremost because yeah. you're a spirit being in a spiritual battle. Why would you not access yeah. a spiritual uh, encounter with God? And and one one other thing I would add in there is that you wanted a short answer is this the power of speaking in tongues, other languages. Spiritual I didn't ask that question. You didn't, but I'm adding it because you're asking what's effective. Because Paul mentions that at the end of the armor of God. He's I'm praying the spirit on all occasions. Uh yeah. That's and good, I yeah. think that's part of the battle that mustn't be overlooked is that yeah, the idea of tongues speaking in other languages by the Holy Spirit's not an optional extra if you want to win keep winning. I mean, and I think there's two parts right. of praying in the spirit. One is speaking in other languages, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the other is praying in the spirit is listening to the Holy Spirit for his wisdom. First Corinthians 2 talks about that, that no one knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. So if you yeah. want to pray God's mind or know God's mind for your spiritual battle, you have to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit to teach you that and reveal that to yeah. you. There isn't another way. That's good. And he does it through scriptures, but he also does it many other means in your imagination and such. And so the speaking in tongues helps activate me along with meditation. Like I quiet yeah. for a while and then speak in tongues to, or even yeah. before you meditate to help get your spirit and soul in proper alignment. That's really good. And along, you know, I never saw that uh, Psalm 23, but I do have it, this. I hadn't put the scripture with it. But I have Psalm 1611 here. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So seeking and abiding the presence of God. Obviously, if you're in turmoil or being attacked by the demonic or just having a horrible time, you'll want some joy and you'll want some answers in the path of life. Hey, yeah, um, and, and I see and that see sitting still like the meditation is similar to that picture of we mentioned earlier with Pharaoh chasing Moses. It's very counterintuitive to do that. You want to go yeah. to action and tackle stuff. There's the flesh and blood kicking in right there. Yeah. Your struggle is not that. It's a spiritual deal. So finding ways to have your spirit strengthened um, to where you're acutely aware of the spirit realm. More importantly, not what demons or unclean spirits are doing. What is the Holy Spirit right. doing? Right, yeah. What is he saying while you're in the yeah. midst of this battle? Because those are your winning offensive weapons. That's where Paul yeah. ends with the armor. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, what's God saying? Um, I'm praying in the spirit on all occasions, keeping my prayer life, a spiritual prayer life, not a mental one. Yeah. All right, Jim. So what's the role? You're you're uh, the leader of um, Life Church 7 School of Supernatural Ministry, which is a Bethel School School of Supernatural Ministry type school. So what's the role of the local church in equipping believers for spiritual warfare? And how can congregations and people and pastors be more intentional about equipping believers for spiritual warfare? Two questions, big questions. Um, uh, well, I, again, we're in Ephesians, right? We're in Ephesians yeah. chapter six. They're talking about spiritual warfare. So preceding that is the answer to your question. Paul talks about Christ himself. So Jesus himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
the next three verses after that, Paul pretty much doubles down on the whole maturity thing being based on us being together, doing it together, and being equipped by those that Jesus gave to equip us. And he names what they look like, what their function, let's say, or what their role is. It's not a hierarchy. It's a group of people, male or female, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. When you, so, and then we're back to the submissive thing again. If those people are in your church, you should have a submissive posture to them, which means be teachable. And I think that's the role that, the, the role that they have is be responsible and accountable to equip and serve other people from the heart of not one that is more important, but one that's been given a responsibility to discharge of being like a mom and a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a bigger brother or a bigger sister. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help you. I have something to give you mm -hmm. that you don't have. You have something to give me that I don't right. have either. But when it comes right. to this part of us growing up to be mature and into the head, who's Christ, he mentions that later, I have something for you. So I have my responsibility to do that. If I'm on younger and I'm on the on the other side of that, I'm saying I have to have a submissive, teachable heart. They have something really important that Jesus gave to me. He's offering something to me as an answer to my prayer. How do I win my family to the Lord? How do I win my boss to Jesus? How do I do better with my money? How right, do I do better right. with my children and my parenting? Listen to these people that are there. Go to them and ask them for their wisdom, for their yeah. spiritual understanding, so I can grow up along with them and the others around me. So I think that's the role that the church has. And then secondly, how your question, the second question was, what can we do more specifically, right? Or strategically? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think that we've done it here at our church is that you you have to carve out time to slowly teach and train and give people the opportunity to practice, let's say, gotcha. what they're learning in and among one another in the body of Christ. That's why we have yeah. what we call a school. You know, Baptist churches have done very well at this over this. They have Sunday school, and that's that's right. their training piece for people learning, you know, theology, Christian practice, those types of things. For us, we call it a school as well. It's a school of supernatural ministry. So I think YWAM, if you remember, if I remember right from the history of its founding, Youth with a Mission, it's a it's a monster. I think it's the biggest missions organization on the planet, at least it was. Wow. And it's equipping young people to do exactly this, the work of ministry. Right. Uh, it's particularly evangelism is how it started out, but it's much, much more than that now. And so that's a parachurch group that was within a church group before. Right. Um, but there are groups like that, and local churches can't always provide that level of intensity of training. Then send someone to a school like ours, part-time or full-time, yeah. or youth with a mission, or other places like that. You know, Campus Crusade for Christ has things like that. Those different groups, the Dream Center in Los Angeles, they're doing this because it takes time it takes money it takes commitment and resolve so i think that's what we can do more strategically is is find ways either to create these uh structures or or entities whatever you want to call it um within a local church body or encourage our local church body if we're small to connect to one outside of us that's bigger than us so that we can get training right. and equipping that's a bit more intensified than what we could ever do on a sunday morning you cannot yeah. hope to to address this 
or any other important matter on a Sunday morning. We're, right. we're, we're touching the, Sunday morning are touch points, aren't they? And you, you could certainly have powerful encounters on a Sunday morning. Absolutely. We should. The fire of God can hit you and change your life, mm. but for ongoing discipleship training and growing mature, yeah. we've got to get ourselves in relationship with this, this ministry of these five roles that will give us a more intensive training. That's, That's really good. I like that. All right. So how I'd like to end is I'd like to say thank you for being here. And I will uh, probably get this out Thursday. Yeah. But I want you to end in prayer and pray for everybody who's going to be hearing this, that their spiritual eyes and ears would be open as to the spiritual battle they're in and to the mm -hmm. hope that they have, something like that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you that uh, you have made everything um, available to us to overcome and to keep overcoming. You promised that we are led in a triumphal procession in Christ or with Christ, which means that Jesus has won an absolute victory mm -hmm. and has caught us up in that victory by our faith in him so that we can overcome every temptation, every sin, every weakness, every challenge. But more than that, we can advance and we can grow and we can see the kingdom of God as it is in heaven, spread on the earth, starting in my home and my workplace with my relatives and my community. The kingdom of God can and will advance through your people because Jesus, you're building your church. Mm -hmm. And so I pray that you'll help each one of us with what we've heard today by the Holy Spirit to see more acutely with spiritual eyes what it is that Holy Spirit is leading us into as individuals, as families. What are you leading us into? And make us aware of things where there's been spiritual um, spiritual deficits in our lives, where we've, we've overlooked that there are specific rulers or authorities and dark powers coming against us and opposing us that we need to specifically cast down or cast out, not only resist, but stand upon and triumph over them in Jesus. Will you help us to see that where that's happening, perhaps in our personal lives, in the structure of our home or our workplace or our churches, so that we can see Jesus get glorified and the church becoming mature and powerful in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you.